What is spiritual warfare? When I use that phrase or when you hear that phrase, what does that mean? What does that language entail? Why, why are we choosing to talk about things that way? Well, the simplest definition that I can give you of spiritual warfare is that it is the recognition that as Christians, we are engaged in a battle. Spiritual warfare is the recognition that we as Christians are engaged in a battle. It's a lens, if you will. Spiritual warfare is a lens at which we can look at Christianity. Now, it's not the only lens. There are lots of different ways to look at Christianity. For example, Christianity is a journey. We can think of Christianity as a journey from death to life. That's a very valid way of looking at Christianity. We can look at Christianity as a family. We can think of Christianity as a way of life. All of these are valid ways of looking at Christianity because we are on a journey. We are a family. It is a way of life. But we are also in a battle. And spiritual warfare is the recognition and the emphasis of this battle theme. It's to look at Christianity with these glasses on. To look at what's going on in this world and in our lives and in this church through the lens of warfare. Now let me be very clear. When I, th when I talk about Christianity as a battle, I don't mean that there are certain aspects of our lives in which we sometimes engage in fighting against the enemy. Nor do I mean that we have certain things that are true of Christianity and also something that has to do with warfare. When I talk about spiritual warfare, what I mean is that the whole of our Christian lives can be looked at in terms of battle. After all, when you're at war, every single facet of your life is affected by that fact. Nothing is untouched by the fact that we are at war. So please, when we think about spiritual warfare, it's not this one little piece of our life where occasionally every other year or so we might be engaged in battle. It is the reality that the whole of our Christian life, every moment of every day, we are at war. Notice how Paul begins Ephesians 6 Verse 10, hopefully you're there. It's page 830 in the Bibles the church provides. He starts with the word, finally. Now, he doesn't mean with the word finally, the last in a series of topics. So it's not like Paul sat down to write the letter to the Ephesians and he thought, what are some things I need to cover with these people? Uh, I'll talk to them about God, that's important. He writes the part about God and I need to talk to him about salvation, so he writes that part, and unity in the church, community, marriage, parenting. Oh yeah, there's one more thing I should probably tell him about spiritual warfare, and so he says, finally, here's the last topic I want to talk to you about. That's not what that word means. What it means is, 
here's the teaching that I need to leave you with. Without which the rest of the stuff that I had to tell you will make no sense. That everything he's talked about so far in the book of Ephesians, God, salvation, the church, unity, community, marriage, parenting, work relationships, all the rest of the stuff he's had to say will not truly make sense and we will not be successful in those things unless we understand the perspective that all of those things are happening in the midst of a war. And the teaching in verses 10 to 20 are meant to apply to everything that he's written so far. For example, we spent a lot of time this past year talking about the importance of being in community, of encouraging people, look, you can't just sort of be a Christian by yourself. You've got to come and be part of the church. You've got to join a smaller Christian community. You've got to engage with other believers. We got that out of the middle of the book of Ephesians. But Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 to 20 says, you have to understand that our efforts to be in community and to be successful in community are hindered by the fact that we're at war. For example, how many of you, now don't raise your hand for this, because your children or other people may be sitting by you. How many of you have ever had this experience? That your kids have behaved great all week long. They've been perfect angels. And then Sunday morning, all of a sudden, unexpectedly out of the blue, either as you're getting ready for church or on your way to church or on your way into church, an inexplicable meltdown occurs. Now don't raise your hand. Have you ever had that experience? Do you think that's an accident? It's because we're at war and an enemy is trying to stop our efforts at community. How many of you have ever had the experience? You can actually raise your hand for this one. How many of you ever had the experience where you had your small group meeting uh, that night or you were getting ready to go to a church activity or be involved in community in some way and that morning you woke up thinking, oh Lord, I don't want to go. Some reason you don't want to go and you dread it all day long and then you go and it's fantastic. Have you ever had that experience? Now, not for church, of course. Other things, yes. (laughs) That's not an accident. What Paul's trying to say is, look, you got somebody trying to stop you from going. That everything you're doing in connection with community won't make any sense until you understand that we're in a war and the enemy doesn't want you in community. Have you ever had the experience where you were part of a small group or part of a church and everything is going along great and you seem to be just connecting and God's work is happening and then all of a sudden something happens and threatens to rip the whole group apart and you wake up one day and you think, where did that come from? How did this happen? We were headed in the right direction. This small group, these were my best friends. This church, this was my family. And then all of a sudden, it's all fallen apart. In a week or a month or a year. Have you ever seen that happen? It's because everything that God has had to say about community doesn't make sense until you realize that it comes in the context of the fact that we are at war. 
Spiritual warfare is the recovery of the perspective that everything we do in life, every moment of every day, is affected by the fact that we are engaged in a battle between good and evil. Now, when we think about spiritual warfare, there are really three aspects that come to the forefront that we want to look at today. The first is that we have an enemy. The second is that we have a certain amount of power and weapons that have been given to us. And the third is understanding the goal or success of we're at war. How do you win? And so this morning, I'd like to cover those three things together. Beginning first with our enemy. Look in verses 11 and 12. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul wants to remind us that as Christians, we have one chief enemy. Here he is referred to as the devil. Sometimes he is called the tempter, the accuser, or Satan. And this one enemy is supremely powerful. Not all powerful. Supremely powerful. And he is like a roaring lion seeking to devour and destroy everything and everyone. There is no mercy in him. We sang about that in the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. We have an enemy aligned against us who wants to destroy everything that we love and hold dear. Anything good in this world, he wants destroyed. Now his power extends throughout the entire world. It does so because the Bible tells us that he is the supreme head of an innumerable number of spirit beings who do his bidding, unquestioningly. In this passage, they are called rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and spiritual forces of evil. In other passages, they are called demons. And he is the supreme ruler of a demonic army who is bent on carrying out what he wants to accomplish in this world. And this innumerable host of spirits who are aligned against us allows Satan to exercise such power in this world that the Bible calls Satan the God of this world. That he has such power and such ability through the forces that he commands to affect every single person that he is considered to be the God of this world. Thinking about his role in affecting everybody, I found a quote while I was studying that was helpful from a Christian theologian, Wayne Grudem is his name. He says this, 
Because of this, it seems reasonable to conclude that the New Testament wants us to understand that there is some degree of demonic influence in nearly all wrongdoing and sin that occurs today. Not all sin is caused by Satan or demons, nor is the major influence or cause of sin demonic activity, but listen to this. But demonic activity is probably a factor in almost all sin and almost all destructive activity that opposes the work of God in the world today. What this means is, is that when we think about what's happening in our lives, the struggles, the suffering, the temptations that we are experiencing, the perspective of spiritual warfare says, it may be that we are going through those things because we have an enemy aligned against us. For example, if you're struggling with discouragement and fear, it may not be simply that you have that sort of personality. It may be, like it is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, that as Paul writes to the Thessalonians who are captured with discouragement and fear, he says, I was afraid the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. Paul's saying, look, the discouragement and the fear, those feelings, that's not just coming out of your personality. It's because there is an enemy who is tempting you to feel that way. And the perspective on spiritual warfare reminds us that if that could happen to them, that Satan can also do that to us. Or perhaps there is a divisive person in your small group, in your Sunday school class, in your church community, a person who is engaged in constantly sort of arguing and refusing to participate in what's going on, the perspective of spiritual warfare reminds us it might not simply be that you have a difference of opinion with that person. It may be, like 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses. And look at this. Escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. That from the perspective of spiritual warfare, there is a sense in which divisiveness and discord is not a result of a difference in personality or a difference of viewing things, but it may be that Satan has taken someone captive to do his will. The perspective of spiritual warfare and the fact that we have a very real enemy who seeks to destroy us reminds us that our outbursts of anger are not simply a personality flaw that we need to work on. 
but a doorway through which Satan comes in to control us and to destroy the ones that we love, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. The perspective of spiritual warfare reminds us anger is not just a personality flaw. It's actually a doorway that Satan uses to control us. It's not neutral. The perspective of spiritual warfare reminds us that if we have a child who's a university student or perhaps you're a university student here yourself and you've gone off to college and suddenly you've been bombarded with uh, kinds of ideas and you've begun to take those on board and think, sexual immorality, that's not really a problem as long as you're not hurting anybody. The Bible, that's just like every other book. There's nothing special about it. You've begun to think, well, hey, everybody gets to heaven. Just It doesn't matter what you believe, just believe something. That it may not be that you simply have become enlightened. It may be, according to 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, that the Spirit clearly says, in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. That the sort of false truth that you've been hearing is not harmless. That it may be that the enemy stands behind that and those teachings that seem so wise and so smart and make so much sense may actually have their source in Satan and his demonic forces. The perspective on spiritual warfare and the fact that we have an enemy reminds us that if we are harboring unforgiveness in our heart because of abuse that we suffered at the hands of a parent or abandonment that we suffered at the hands of a parent, that we ought not simply say, well, I'm just trying to work through it. That perhaps this is a means that Satan is using to destroy us. As it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, if you forgive anyone... I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. And why do we forgive those who hurt us? In order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. That he uses our refusal to forgive others and makes us think it's our own choice. He uses that to control us and to destroy us and that bitterness will eat us away. And the perspective on spiritual warfare reminds us, look, unforgiveness is not neutral. It's a tool that Satan uses to outwit us. The perspective on spiritual warfare also reminds us that some physical and mental illnesses are not simply caused by physical or mental explanations, but are rooted in the spiritual warfare of an enemy who has the power to afflict us physically, emotionally, mentally, as it is in Luke chapter 13, when Luke tells us that there was a woman in a local synagogue who had been physically crippled by a spirit for 18 years. 
She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Her affliction is physical. And Jesus, when he is asking about her, says, Should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Now, not all physical illness or mental struggles are satanic. Clearly not. In fact, you might even say a majority of them are not. But the perspective of spiritual warfare reminds us it is possible that some physical illness, some mental anguish that we experience is the result of the fact that we have an enemy. C.S. Lewis once reminded us that the two great dangers with regard to Satan are giving him too much attention and giving him too little attention. Both are equally bad. As we have been looking through this and praying through this and I've spent this time and looking at this passage, I feel like God is saying to us at Calvary Church that more emphasis is needed here. That we are more prone in the West and in West Michigan and in comfortable middle-class life to think that all problems are caused by physical, social things that we are experiencing, that our troubles at work are simply because we don't get along with our boss, that our marriage problems are simply because we need more counseling, that whatever's going on in our life is happening because germs have come in and made us sick, that we need to recover the perspective. It is possible that lots of these things are happening to us because we have an enemy bent on destroying us. So the first aspect that we need to think about when we think about spiritual warfare is there is a very real enemy whose mission is to destroy everything that we hold dear and who has the power to do so. The second thing we need to understand about spiritual warfare is the power and the weapons that have been given to us for this fight. Verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor, whose? Of God. Because our enemy is so strong, because he has so many servants working for him, God says there's only one thing that is stronger that I can give you. And that's my own power. Amen. The power that created this world, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the infinite, unlimited power of very God himself has been given to us. I was reminded when we talk about the enemy, that's kind of scary stuff. I remember sharing some of this material with a younger child and I got done talking about the enemy and I remember this sort of look of, oh my goodness, what is that? Fear. And I was reminded, you know, it can be pretty disconcerting to think about the fact that we have a supremely powerful enemy who unrelentlessly wants to destroy us. That can shake you. 
And so I looked into uh, this young child's eyes and I said, but you need to know something else. (laughs) As a Christian, because God has given you his Holy Spirit, you have within you the infinite power of God. That if you, just as a young child, happen to meet Satan in some back alley with all his hordes with him, you're stronger than he is. Not because any power you have, but God himself has given you his mighty power. That you don't have to be afraid. That as terribly strong as our enemy is, as frightening as he is, What God has given to us is stronger. His own power. The power he calls on to do what he wants to do. That power is ours to use. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that amazing? Now in Ephesians 6, he visualizes this power in terms of armor. We're going to spend six weeks looking at these six pieces of armor and look at them one by one, one week at a time. But perhaps you're here this morning and you say, but I can't wait six weeks. Like what you've been describing, I'm experiencing that. I didn't want to come to church this morning. This illness that I've been experiencing, I know that there is some darkness in it. This thing that I'm suffering right now, I'm not sure I can make it through six weeks. Let me share something with you. It's not actually a piece of the armor. But it's the most powerful weapon in the fight. It actually undergirds all of the armor and gives the armor its power. And if you take away nothing else, if you can't be here for the next six weeks, this is the one thing you have to know. And it's found in verses 18 to 20. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me. Even the apostle himself needs prayer. Why? That I may open my mouth, that words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Even the Apostle Paul was in danger of giving way to the fear that Satan brings and keeping his mouth shut. He says, but if you pray for me, Satan will not be victorious. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. The single most important weapon in the battle is prayer, bar none. There are other things that are important. We're going to talk about the Bible, the word of God. We're going to talk about truth. We're going to talk about righteousness. But the single most important aspect of the battle is the thing that undergirds them all, and it's prayer. Paul doesn't talk about anything else in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 as much as he talks about prayer. Those last four verses are all about prayer. He mentions it at least six times. Pray, pray, pray. Pray is the power. That when we pray, we unlock the mighty power of God. This is why when Jesus, his disciples ask him, teach us to pray. 
He says, make sure when you pray, you say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In John 17, as Jesus is getting ready to leave, his last prayer request for you, for me, for his disciples, is that God would protect them from the evil one. When Jesus talks to Peter and he says, Satan has asked you, sift you like wheat. Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. In Mark 9, when the disciples are unable to cast out a demon and they say, why couldn't we do this? Jesus says, look, this kind, it only comes out through prayer. That the strongest, most mighty weapon that we have been given is the power to pray. And what Paul is saying is, look, when you pray, the power of God comes crashing into the situation. So whether or not you understand how all of these pieces of armor work, whether or not you have all of the tools that you need, if you pray, if you start praying now and you don't stop praying until God helps you, if you wrestle the power of God from heaven down into your situation through prayer, it will be effective. That no matter how strong Satan is, prayer is more powerful. That there's no situation that you or I can ever find ourselves in. Even situations that we cause because of our own sin, like Samson, when he prays, God's power comes. Situations that we create when we pray, the power of God comes into that situation. There is no battle you can find yourself in. There is no situation that you can find yourself in in which prayer will not be effective. Now, it is mysterious how it will work itself out. But God is very clear. You and I can win this fight if we pray. And the perspective on spiritual warfare is a good reminder. Because if it's true that the enemy is behind the divisiveness in the community... If the enemy is the one behind the strong temptations that we're feeling to give in to sexual immorality, if the enemy is the one who is putting the voice in our child's head, telling them to hurt themselves or hurt other people, if the enemy is the one who is lying to us, if the enemy is the one who is causing the depression, if the enemy is the one who is causing the sickness, then at the end of the day, the solution to the problem is not medicine. It's not counseling. It's not a 12-step program. It's not a better set of friends. It's not a better community to be involved in. It's not getting more exercise or getting more sleep. All of those things can and are useful. Please don't hear me wrong. But at the end of the day, if the enemy is behind these things, medicine, counseling, rest, vacation, additional money, all of those things will be helpful but not truly solve the problem. The only thing that will truly get that enemy out is prayer. And the perspective of spiritual warfare says that sometimes we're so busy solving our problems that we forget to pray and actually fix the problem. Now please, 
Hear me right. I'm not telling you don't go to the doctor. I'm not telling you don't go to counseling. I'm not telling you don't get any sleep. Please don't hear me saying those things. What I am saying is that if it is ultimately Satan, none of those things will be permanently successful. But combined with the power of prayer, now we've got more than a fighting chance. So the second thing we've got to understand about spiritual warfare is that God has given us access to his very power. And that if we do nothing else, if we pray, God will come into the situation. The third and last thing that I think we need to realize about spiritual warfare, not only do we have an enemy, not only have we been given power to be successful, we've also been charged with a goal. That if we're in a fight, how do you know if we've won? What does victory look like? Well, the goal in the fight is spelled out in the most important word in the first three verses. Verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Verse 14, stand firm then. The goal of the battle is to stand. The goal of the battle is to stand. Listen, it's not to defeat Satan. The goal of the battle is not to eliminate temptation. The goal of the battle is not to destroy depression. The goal of the battle is not to eliminate sin and suffering. That's not the goal. The goal of the battle is to stand, to not give the ground. On the cross, Jesus Christ stripped Satan and his demonic hordes of their power and their authority and laid claim to the ground on which we stand. And his command to us is, don't give back that ground. It's mine. I bought it. Now Satan comes and he wants to dispute that claim. He wants to bully us. He wants to lie to us. He wants to intimidate us. He wants to deceive us. The goal is not to beat him down. The goal is not to eliminate the depression. The goal is not to get rid of all illness in the world. The goal is simply to stand. Don't give way. That on that Sunday morning when suddenly the kids are not behaving anymore, the goal is stand your ground. Don't give in. Get to church. That's what Satan's trying to stop you from doing. Don't let him win. Stand your ground. That when your small group is threatened to be torn apart, don't give way. Do not let Satan win. Stand your ground. You don't got to solve all the world's problems. You don't got to go out and fix everything. You just have to stand. That when Satan comes after you with that monster of depression... Or a physical illness. The command is not to eliminate it. The command is not to get rid of everything. The command is don't give way to it. When Satan comes after you with that temptation to view that pornography. Or to be involved in that gossip or do whatever it is. The command is don't give that ground back to him. And the reason God has given us his mighty power. 
is not for us to go on a hunt to eliminate all sin and all suffering and all struggle. He's given us his mighty power so that on that day, when the evil one comes after us, we stand firm. Stand in place. The victory belongs to Jesus. The ground on which we stand is his. He's claimed it. He owns it. When Satan comes with the counterclaim, Jesus says, look, I'm asking you to do one thing. Don't give that ground back. Don't give ground through unforgiveness, through anger, through discord, through sin, through temptation. Satan will throw everything he's got at you. Everything to convince you that you've been victimized, that you're just, like, you're just like everybody else, it's no problem, that sin's not that big a deal, that Christian truth is too exclusive, you shouldn't believe it. He is going to come at you with everything, that you're too big of a sinner, that God doesn't love you, that the reason why you're suffering is because you've been rejected. He is going to come with every lie, every accusation, every power at his disposal. And Jesus says, please stand in my power, in my strength. Don't give that ground. You see, sometimes when you think about war, we think about it as we advance into enemy territory and we take ground from them. Jesus says, on the cross, I claim the whole world for myself. There's no other advances that have to be made. But you can lose a war if you give back ground that's been taken. And Jesus says, I'm asking you to do one thing. Stand firm. Stand strong. Don't give way. The importance of spiritual warfare is, is it's a perspective on Christianity. It's not the only one. But it is a helpful perspective to come back and remember. Everything that we do in life is affected by the fact that we are at war. We have an enemy who wants to destroy us. But we have been given divine power to demolish strongholds. And that if we, through these armor, pieces of armor, and through the power of prayer that God has given to us, that if we take these, we will be able to stand. And the victory will be through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it illuminates our lives. We would be lost in darkness. We would have no idea that Satan was coming after us in so many different ways. But through your spirit and the power of your word, we begin to see what he's up to. God, I pray that you would be able to take these truths and impact them in our hearts. That you would open our eyes to see. Help us, Lord, to keep this in balance. Not to give way to fear. Not to overemphasize the aspects of spiritual warfare, but Lord, my sense is is that you have been telling us we've been underemphasizing them. Help us to be able to see more clearly without swinging the pendulum too far the other direction. Lord, I pray right now, every single one of us is engaged in spiritual warfare. For some this morning, though, it may be more manifest than it is for others. It may be more real, it may be more powerful. And God, I ask right now, through the power of prayer, as you said, that your mighty power in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would come into their life in a strong way and that you would give them the grace to stand. 
for those who have been beaten down by temptation or by illness or by a loved one making foolish choices and being led astray, for those who have been beaten down by the discouragement or fear, God, would you this morning open their eyes to see there's nothing wrong with them. It's not simply because life's difficult, but it's because we have an enemy and that they now have the power to stand. And would you give them the power? Lord, if the Apostle Paul needed that power to stand, Lord Jesus, if you yourself needed that power to stand, surely we need that power. And so I ask right now for your mighty power to work in marvelous ways in this church and in our lives as individuals. And I ask this in the name of our crucified and risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.